episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Good morning, Jody. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm alive. I'm awake. I am ready. Let's do this podcasting thing. Yes, let's do it. What are we talking about today? We are doing a deep dive into one of the classic compressors. I guess we tend to think about the 1176 and the LA-2A, but there is another one here, of course, Fairchild's and all those, but mm-hmm. one of the really big ones, a little bit more of a modern offering, is the Empirical Labs Distressor. Distressor. Yeah. So we're going to do a deep dive into the Distressor today. All right. Kick us off, Jody. What is the Distressor? It's a compressor, dude. <laughs> Sorry. I just had to say it that way because you asked such a fun question. The answer to this is, is that it is a compressor that is built to emulate two of the compressors that you just mentioned in the intro, the 1176 and the LA-2A, which makes it a very versatile piece of kit. It sure does. And it has a few more bells and whistles as we get into as well. But also... As the name implies, this is capable of adding distortion to your signal as well. So you get the distortion and the compressor, therefore the distressor. Right. Yeah, really versatile piece of gear. And as always, when we do these deep dives, maybe we should start a little bit with the brief history of this unit. So, All right. uh, This was the brainchild of Dave Durr. And it was released in 1996. Yes. And Dave used to work for Eventide. He was instrumental in working on like the H3000. Oh, man. Another Wasn't piece that like gear. a real piece of classic FX box right there? Absolutely. We just saw the new version of that. And, we did uh, the H3000 with its fancy handy dandy software that goes with right. it with a computer. Yeah. That's three times as many, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Already off the rails. Sorry. Now, so Dave wanted to, he was actually running a studio as well, and he wanted to have a piece of gear that could emulate the sound of all these old compressors that he had been working with and started the company Empirical Labs. And the first product was the Distressor. And as you said, it launched in 96. It's a single space rec unit. And there are a couple of different versions of this available. The EL8 is the original. Yep. Then what do we got? The EL8-X, which is a mod of the original EL8, but they added an extra British mode with all the buttons on like an 1176 is essentially what they call it. Now, why the 1176 is considered British when you turn on all of its buttons, I have no idea, but there it is. It's the British version on the distressor. Well, yeah, they call it the British mode because it was primarily British engineers that kind of started doing that all buttons in thing on the 1176. Well, there's your answer right there. (laughs) There's your answer right there. Yeah. And the last one is? The EL8S, which essentially is not anything different, but it's either one of the two, and it's just two units that are matched at the factory and linked together, so you can have stereo operation right. for those as well. Because um, they are a mono unit, just so you know. They are. They are. As we hinted at here, they are 
quite versatile and I like to think of them almost like a Swiss army knife of mm -hmm. compressors because as we'll get into here, they are quite versatile. Prepare to hear that word <laughs> a few more times. Versatile, versatile, versatile. There yeah. it is. So they can be really, really aggressive sounding as you'd imagine with distortion models built in, but it can also be really, really smooth sounding. Yes. Again, what's the word of the day? Versatile. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. The idea yeah. of its versatility in terms of its overview, it has the ability to go with extremely fast attacks like the 1176, but it also can do very slow attacks like the LA-2A. Yeah. And the same thing is said in terms of its release as well. It has extremely fast releases and it has extremely long releases. Hence the reason it can do both. Yeah. When they came out, these found their ways into a lot of studios. One reason, not only did they sound really good, but you didn't have to necessarily mortgage the studio to buy another 1176, right? <laughs> these were relatively affordable for, for what they're doing. And they're still in production today. So mm -hmm. this is not like an out of production unit. If you don't know what they look like, whenever your, your favorite engineer, producer, whatever. If you look in their studio, chances are they have this little black box with large white knobs on it. And that's the distressor. And there's usually at least two in their rack, right? So And if they're you two, see they're everywhere. likely matched so that they can be used in stereo. Right. How much do so, these bad boys run when you buy one now? You know, they're not bad. They run for the original, the uh, EL8, they're about 1500 bucks. Mm -hmm. Up to with the British mod, the, the EL8X, they're about, I don't know, 1800 something like that. Yeah. Double that if you want the stereo because you're getting two of them, obviously. So exactly. um, relatively affordable. It's different than spending 20 bucks on a plug-in or 200 bucks on a plug-in, <laughs> right? Where you have unlimited amounts of them, obviously. But for a classic piece of hardware, that's... That's a reasonable price. It certainly is. Now, the funny thing about that is we start to delve into the software versions that are available for this. A few years back, I remember talking to Dave at mm -hmm. NAMM and asking about the plug-in version and when it was coming. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody was asking that, but yeah. And then, of course, along came Universal Audio with their version of the UA Distressor, which is apparently the only official version of the distressor. However, what that probably means is that they're paying to use the name in their plugin. Nobody else right. gets to use the name distressor in the plugin version. Right. But of course, Empirical Labs, now they have their own version of this, right? Yep. With a few more bells and whistles called the Arouser. Yep. So if you want to get one that has sort of Dave's signature on it, right? That would be the one. But you mentioned UA, mm -hmm. Slate has one. There were in the user groups, I remember that people were going absolutely apeshit before this was coming out. Like, what do we got to get? What we have? So, but it is there now, and I really like that one. There are others as well. Slyfied the deflector. Yeah, I haven't played with that Neither at all, I. I have to admit, but we should mention it here because it is there. And I don't think that is a sort of like one to one sort of emulation, but more in the spirit of it, I believe. And I think the same thing can be said for another one, which is called SK Note, and they have their Disto plugin, which is based on the distressor as well. So there are software 
versions of these as well. Multiple software right. versions. Right. Just like other emulations of classic pieces of gear, there are a lot of variables to these originals, right? So I think quite possibly the reason that we don't see so many emulations of sort of like exact emulations of this is because it has so many variables to knees and things. We'll talk about that when we get into the controls and stuff later here. But I would imagine it's a bit of a nightmare to kind of emulate all the, the elements or of this unit. So that very well could be, but let's interject right now with a word from our sponsors. All right, we're back. And now we're going to dive into the controls of this unit and what they do. Kick us off, Chris. Well, the biggest thing that we look at from the actual unit, we're not talking about the, the software versions here because they will more or less look the same, but it's the same controls. When we're dealing with the software units, the ones that you and I have experience with, me, I have the Slate one and you have the UA one, right? So, But, mm -hmm. but the actual hardware unit has obviously a nice gain reduction meter. And what's kind of special about this, I think it goes relatively far. We can It actually shows up to 26 dB of gain reduction. Yes, and it lights up like a very, very long, thin Christmas tree. It's right. ready to look at when it's doing its thing. Right. Even going back to the price here, it's a bad joke. I'm sorry, everybody, but the lights per dollar is, is very <laughs> high on this unit. So. You mean you get a lot of lights for your dollar. Exactly. Yeah. We also have other notifications. We have like a red line and a THD indicator. Mm -hmm. that just shows like how hard you're clipping the unit. Up next, we have the ratio selectors. And unlike, let's say, an LA-2A that has set ratio and the options that we see on like an 1176, there's a fair amount of different ones here that we can use. We have a one-to-one, -one, more on that later. We have a two-to-one, three to one, four to one, six to one, 10 to one, which is the opto setting. And we'll cover that more. We have 20 to one, and then we have nuke. Nuke. And you can imagine what nuke does and why it's called that. <laughs> that is hefty, hefty ratio right there. Essentially just a limiter when you crank in the crap out of it. Right. Well, the big thing about each one of these ratios is that each and every one of them has a unique curve to them mm -hmm. in terms of the knee. And the knee is how quickly that's going to start biting into your sound for most people that don't know what knee means. Right. And generally, the rule here for, for the distressor is that the gentler the ratio is, so like the two to one, the three to one, four to one, maybe even, has a softer knee. So it won't be as drastic once you get over it and start slamming in other words really it looks good. a bit more like a curve rather than an actual bend in a line like a, a strict here's your angle <laughs> this is where your knee hits yeah something like that right that's what makes it a low lower ratio so it can be really really smooth sounding it doesn't have to be like distressor it doesn't have to be nuked right it has a lot of flexibility there it so, makes that more like the la2a at that point yeah, as far as like curve, and that changes actually when we have the um, the distressor set in the ten to one ratio. That is sort of the opto mode, where it's emulating 
that LA2A and it has a couple of different settings that go with it when it's using that. But that's when you can use it as an LA2A and should get a very, very similar sound of that same vibe. Mm -hmm. So that is a really, really cool one. Also, what we have is detector switches here where we have a high pass on the detection. So this doesn't take it out of the audio signal. It's just how the compressor reacts. And it essentially has a high pass filter about 80 hertz. Really handy, of course, depending on the source that we're doing, right? So let's say that if you have these on drum your stereo kit. bus. Drum kit, we could have it on. Well, let's say, yeah, let's go with that. Let's go for a drum bus, right? And you find that you have a really, really aggressive kick and it's just making it compress too hard. You can turn on the high pass from the detection and it won't react as hard to the kick, for example. Mm -hmm. So, Or if you have it on, if you're doing a dance track and you're having it on, your stereo bus, for example, right? A lot of that low end might make your compression too obvious when you're doing that. So again, it doesn't remove it from the audio signal, but that's a really handy control to have because it you can really, really sculpt it a lot better, I think. Yep. The second portion of the detector switch, when you hit it again, puts you into a band emphasis mode, which mm -hmm. is a mid-range bell that tends to emphasize the upper mids to yep. tame those harsh upper mids within the signal. Exactly. A use for this would be on vocals, if certain range that high mid gets a little bit too overbearing, we can have the compressor tame those peaks a little bit more, so it reacts more to that. So again, a very, very handy thing to have. Yep. The next push of that button puts the high pass and the band emphasis together. Yeah, so you can use these in different order, right? And on the actual units itself, on the hardware units, there is also a link button where if you're using two of these together, how it treats the audio as a stereo source as opposed to just uh, a left and right, if you will. Mm -hmm. Great abilities to, to sculpt. There are things that we don't have on older Actually, I shouldn't say that because that, that's not necessarily always true, but, but it's not a function that's always there whether it's like a high pass function to, to trigger it. So that's really, really nice function as well. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us about the audio settings that we have on, on, now we're actually dealing with the output of the unit, right? Right. Do I want to do it? No, but am I going to do it? Yes. <laughs> See, rise above, Jody, <laughs> rise be above. a professional, right. that's do right. it. Right. Yeah. The first selection that you can push in on the audio settings is a high-pass filter, again, with an 80 hertz smooth filter cutoff, which means that you can start removing that low-end rumble if you don't want it as part of your sound when it comes out this unit. And that's pretty handy. Absolutely. Again, let's say you're using a vocal to something that, you know, all of that might just clog up your mix, whatever instrument, but... Like you said, it starts at about 80, so you might want to be a little bit careful with if you're doing this on bass, for example. It might right. not be the best option, right? Might remove um, a little too much of your low end if you're not careful. Indeed. And we like low end, don't we? Yes, of course. Let's right. get into your favorite area. Distortion 2 yeah, is the distortion next switch on the audio settings. Right. So here's where it gets its name, right? Distressor. Uh, we can add distortion to the signal. And dist 2, you never guess, but it's going to add a second harmonic to, to the signal. So what does that mean in real terms, right? Well, a second harmonic will generally give a 
kind of warm sort of like a tube-like distortion, right? This is not like you're, you're putting your signal through a rectifier amp or anything like that, right? <laughs> but it adds a little bit of that, uh, what do we like to say, warmth, right? Mm -hmm. And this can add some nice attitude to perhaps vocals and things, but if you're doing a jazz trio, that is probably best turned off, I would think. But it is a handy one that we have there. And mm -hmm. then... We have version dist three. Distortion three. Yeah, right? adds a third harmonic above this. And this gets into more of a tape-like vibe out of the distortion yeah. that hits in this unit. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to describe it. So it's a little bit less aggressive, perhaps. And it's almost like there's no rules, right? But whatever sounds good, that's what we kind of want to go with. But we have that option, but this is actually in the audio, it's not in the detection unit. So you're actually adding it to this. And one thing that I wanted to bring up here, because I kind of hinted mm -hmm. at it when we were talking about the ratios. Mm -hmm. When you're in that one-to-one -one ratio, you're actually not adding any compression, right? But here's, if you go through these distortion options and you crank the input and adjust, you can get some nice pleasing distortion out of this as well. And that in conjunction with the high pass filter perhaps, you can get creative with that without actually adding any compression. To your In other words, so, add color to your instrument or sound or mix without adding compression. See, that was such a much better way of saying that than whatever I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move but on yeah. to the input knob then. Right. So now here's, you know, we have four knobs on this, right? It's big, fat, white knobs on here. We got the input, attack, release, and output. Right now, the input knob here, just like you would on some other classic units, like the more input you're going to get, more compression. You're driving it harder into mm -hmm. the unit. Right, attack and release. That's where we can get really, really sculpting with these, and super fast attacks you can get up to fifty microseconds. That's fast. That's, that's fast. I don't even think I can think that fast. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go all the way up to uh, 30 milliseconds on mm -hmm. that. So, so it's a good range of attack there. Wide there range. The flexibility, right? Very well. Yeah, right. The release, five milliseconds to three and a half seconds. So when we're using the distressor in opto mode, the release changes a little bit. And on the actual hardware unit, well, first off, the, the release time at that point goes up to 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. Right. And on the original unit, what you would do is you'd actually turn the release off and then it enters, it sort of overrides that setting. And you would have the attack all the way up at 10. And I know that you and I have talked about this a little bit before we did this, about the software versions. They deal with this slightly differently, I believe. Yep. I know on the Slate one, it has those same settings. So if you override it, put it into opto mode, it has the release at zero and the attack at 10. But I believe the UA does it slightly differently. Well, point, it, right? it's a little bit different in that it, the release can extend up to 20 seconds due to program-dependent behaviors. And I believe it has the same settings where you have to put it to zero to produce that. But who has 20 seconds of program that would sit completely compressed over that time? Who knows? <laughs> that's yeah. a long time that, that's to let what, a compressor sit in the mode. 
Indeed. That's like when you're doing like you really doom metal when the, the, you know, <laughs> long, long, the long, snare yeah. hit rings out for 25 seconds, right? right. Uh, but that's, again, just to emulate that behavior, right? So we can play around with that and see who cares if your sounds better if you have it, not necessarily emulating the exact behavior, but it's all in there if, if that's what you're attempting to do. Mm-hmm. So th- that's the attack and the release then, right? But Then, then of course, we come we have- with the output knob. Woohoo! The output adjusts the signal level, obviously, at the output. So it can be separate from everything else going on within your hardware or plug-in unit. That's pretty simple. It's If you want to crank it in and compress the snot out of something and then really bring the level up and show off that compression that you've used, you have that option. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just to, to round off the controls here, if you are working or if you're seeing a hardware unit that has the the mod with it, there would be a second stereo link added. And the reason that they did that was the behavior when you linked it with the original one had some phasing issues that would happen between the left and the right. And sometimes that was a really handy trick to use to kind of get some separation on certain sources. But there now is a separate stereo link that you could add that sort of took care of all that. And then as well, that British mode switch, right, which is that emulation of that 1176 all buttons in type of thing. So, But that's on the hardware unit. Neither one of the UA or the Slate version have that as far as I know. Nope. Not on the UA version. Yeah, and that's not on the Slate one as well. But yeah, there are other ways to get that sound if we really, really want it. Well, there is a way to kind of emulate that with the UA version. I don't know about the Slate. You'd have to speak mm -hmm. up about this. But the UA version has a headroom control. And the headroom control allows you to change the input dynamics, so to speak, from 4 dB to 28 dB in 4 dB increments. When you first instantiate it, it's gonna be set to 16 dB as the default value. But you can turn that headroom knob in various positions along the clock orientation of things. Going counterclockwise brings you down in your dB of headroom and going clockwise brings you up in dB for your headroom. Interesting, so is that effectively just adjusting the knee or how how soon that kicks in or does it give you uh, more of a headroom so to speak before it starts adding harmonics and distortion it's how much it starts driving the unit straight off the top Mm. so you push it more but you're not getting as much headroom when you turn it up to say 28 it's actually increasing and it pushes the plug-in into the processing of what it's doing much quicker. And when you turn it down, decreasing the value of going into the unit. Okay. I would have to play with that because I'd have to hear the differences there. But that kind of answers your question that no, that is not present in the the Slate version of that that plugin. Essentially what it is, is it's like you can get additional color out of the unit if you're turning up the headroom or turning it down kind of thing. Okay. All right. So what are you using on? Pretty much everything. <laughs> Anywhere right. you want to use an 1176 or an LA-2A or any other classic compressor, this thing is usable everywhere. Yeah. 
the more I use this, I remind myself that why am I not using this more? Right? Because it's almost... That's kind of a like, contradiction, don't you think? The more that you yeah. use it, the more you're reminded, why am I not using this more? But for whatever reason, it's like I always tend to go to like an LA-2A or a, an 1176. Yeah, it's a name But then I'm like, thing. well, I think it's just a workflow thing where you're just used to it. Sure. But then I'm like, wow, this sounds really, really good. I should use this more. And then you get back to your old habits. But I really, really like this one. And it's, again, we kind of talked about before we started recording here, I said, if you only get one compressor, and if you're starting to go into this world, right, if you're going to get a third-party compressor, mm -hmm. this is probably the one to get. Oh, of course. Because of the flexibility, right? Yep. And the word of the day is versatility. <laughs> <laughs> well, the so, one yeah, thing I'll I add about that is that every person that I've ever known that's had a hardware version in their studio, that's yeah. like their go-to compressor, straight up. That's what right. they go to. No matter what else they have, they like the distressor. And part of it that I remember in terms of things before I dove in getting the plug-in, they loved the fact that you could set this thing and compress the snot out of something and it wouldn't sound completely compressed. Now, can you compress the snot out of something with the distressor and come out sounding compressed? You're damn right yes. you can. <laughs> However, yeah. you can compress a awful lot with the distressor and still have it come out sounding not extremely compressed, despite the fact that it is very compressed. Yeah. Due to the fact that the really fast attack and release ratios that are available, that you can just tame the peaks really quickly, right, without mm -hmm. losing too much of the dynamics. It is a testament to that. Now, another thing that you can do with this on the opposite side when we really, really want to crank the snot out of something. And that's nuke to kind of get, yep, we're going to nuke, nuke it. it. And we're going to go for a John Bonham type of super aggressive room, right? If you put it in the nuke setting, you have a fast attack and release, and then just crank that input knob. And it's going to just bring up that room and actually going to make relatively let's say, not so good recorded drums actually sound usable. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really, a saving it, grace for you. Just know that. Yeah. And works great on kicks and snares as well with a little bit of less of a ratio, like three to one. Obviously, attack and release will have to be content dependent, right? Mm -hmm. It's great on vocals, four to one ratio. Used it yesterday thing. on vocals. See, there you go. But I went six to one. <laughs> six to one. Yeah, I did. That's... I went six to one. Absolutely. Well, whatever it calls for, but it, but it can do it. And if you're getting your hands on these and you're trying them out, a good tip from from Dave Dorr himself is to put all the knobs, the uh, the input, the release, attack or attack and release, and then output. If you set those at five, and then start flipping through the ratio knobs and start dialing from there, it's a good place to kind of get into it and then adjust from there. Another last tip that I would give on these is like, it's again, to use that one-to-one -one ratio and combine it with either the distortion two or distortion three to add some like pleasing distortion to this. And you could go crazy with this as well. If you crank the input knob and adjust with the output, cool things can happen. That's right. <laughs> and everybody loves cool things. Otherwise, it wouldn't be much fun, right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But yeah, this is truly a classic one. And I... I implore everybody to go check it out because, yeah. And I as like you mentioned before, 
If you don't have any other compressors, this is probably a really good one to start with. Yeah, once you feel like you've outgrown your, your stock compressor in whatever DAW you're using, then this might be the first one to kind of look at because it can do a little bit of everything really, really well. Mm -hmm. so, and with that, we we'll move on to Friday Finds. Chris, what have you got for us this week? Well, this honestly wasn't so much of a find. It was more of a, okay, thank you very much. It was super sexy plug-in, a de-esser. Mm -hmm. No, that's not sexy at all, is it? <laughs> but it's very, very useful. In the uh, Slate Bundle, we got a de-esser this week. We got the FGDS902. Not to be which, confused with a distressor, by the way. Exactly. Not the distressor, the de-esser. Wow, that is really, really difficult to say. Yep. But it is based off an old DBX de-esser, and it just functions really, really well. Just like you do with a de-esser, you just want it to work simply, and this one does that with great results. So my Friday find is the FGDS902. Thank you, Stephen Slate, for that. What do you got? I'm going with Line 6 today. Not Ooh. their entire product line, but their metallurgy amp simulations. Ooh. As guitar players that you and I are, having additional guitar amp sims is always a fun thing to have, especially when you need to do some hardcore, dark, deep, doom-type metal. And Metallurgy delivers on that. Although it reminds me of another thing I recently saw that says, all death metal and dark metal of that nature is just surf music, with distortion, <laughs> which is really funny when you think <laughs> about funny. it. But yeah. I'm going to go with the Metallurgy Amp Sims, of which there are quite a few, from line cool. six, because it's nice. always fun to have a whole lot more distortion when you need it. Well, you're preaching to the choir. You know my problem with Amp Sims. So <laughs> yes, we both have a problem with them. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word distressor, not de-esser, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or a suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. I'll talk to you later, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody.